Father's Day, those of you online, thank you for joining us. Just super glad to be here and super glad to be able to preach this message from Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. You would expect, I believe, for a middle school in Dallas, Texas to be named the Billy Earl Dade Middle School, and sure enough, there is one. So every year, the Billy Earl Dade Middle School has a father-son breakfast around Christmas time. They've noticed over the last few years that the attendance of the breakfast has been in a slight decline. But in 2017, so before the pandemic, they had a, a really low number of boys who signed up for it. And the administration met and was discussing, you know, wonder what's going on here? Why would the number be low? And someone just simply um, posed this statement. Well, a lot of our boys don't have fathers. And so for a lot of our boys, it's probably embarrassing to sign up for a father-son breakfast when they don't have fathers. So they talked about it a little bit, realized that probably something like 70% of the boys are at risk for growing up in fatherless homes. And one of the administrators said, why don't we do this? Why don't we put on our website an invitation uh, for 50 men to give us one hour, just an hour, to show up and be surrogate fathers for, for the day. And they did. They put it on the website, and they got virtually no response. And someone finally brought up, well, you know why? Because men don't even know there is a school website. So men don't ever look at a school website, <laughs> which I, I can tell you is true. I didn't know there was such a thing until I started doing this story. Um, and so someone said, let me put it on Facebook. So one of the parents put on Facebook, we need 50 men, 50 volunteers, show up. All we're asking for is one hour. If you'll show up on December 14th was the date. Uh, no, December, yeah, December 14th. If you'll show up on December 14th, give us one hour and just be a surrogate father for some of these boys. Well, December 14th rolled around and they didn't get 50 fathers. Instead, 600 men showed up, 600 men. They, they taught the boys about sports. They spoke to them about, um, you know, playing musical instruments. Someone brought their instruments. They actually showed some of the boys how to tie a necktie, which, um, you know, they, they never did. And in my world, you would never have to learn to do. But they were just investing in these boys' lives. And I've just thought to myself that um, that's what a father is. It's kind of really captured nicely in this guy who painted his message on his own jacket, that our sons matter. It was, here's my phrase, it was an ark of faithfulness and an ocean of faithlessness. These were men who rose to the occasion and said, you know, maybe the world is faithless today, but we're not going to be. That's really my story about North Boulevard. Uh, Julie and I have been associated with North Boulevard since 1992 almost 30 years, pushing half of my life. And even, I think last night we were just talking about we're blessed to belong to what we believe is the greatest church there is. And one reason why is because there are a lot of faithful men and women. That's Father's Day. There are a lot of faithful men here. Men who've been faithful to their families, faithful to their work, faithful to their commitments. And in an ocean of faithlessness, it's awesome to have role models who are faithful. And even when we fail, which we do, to have men who have the courage and the faithfulness to get up and say, okay, 
I'm not done. I'm going to try again. So faithfulness in the scripture is living up to your commitments, or to put it another way, to be faithful is to do what you said you were going to do. And I want to say that faithfulness is uh, an underlying virtue without which no other virtue can be achieved. You really can't love a person well if, you're not, if you don't keep your word. You will, you will always create pain. You can't be kind to someone to whom you're unfaithful. If you're unfaithful in a relationship, you undermine everything else you're doing. If you don't live up to your word, if you won't keep your commitments. And this is one reason why the Bible is so serious about the virtue of faithfulness. The faithfulness provides the platform from which we can do all of the things. Our God is a faithful God, celebrated over and over again in Scripture. The faithfulness of our God, that God faithful, listen to the way it's put in Deuteronomy 7. He's a faithful God, and listen to this. He keeps His covenant to a thousand generations. When God gives His word on something, you can stake your life on it. That God's not going to back down from what God says. He's faithful, and He calls us to be faithful. We're to be like He is. And so, in the text we're about to look at, which is Deuteronomy 27 and the first 14 verses of 28, we see faithfulness played out. And even though the term is not mentioned there, not in English, the word amen occurs 12 times in this text. And in English, we may not have thought this through, but the word amen in Hebrew means Faithful, that's what the word means. In fact, there's a verbal form of it that means someone is acting faithfully. So, 12 times the Israelites are called to say amen in this text, which is, it's faithful. Put another way, it's almost like saying I do in a wedding service. So, we're going to go through 12 curses and then a number of blessings. And each time the Israelites are supposed to say, yep, that's faithful, that's faithful. What God is doing is He's renewing His covenant with the Israelites. They're getting ready. You remember they've come out of slavery? This was the original Juneteenth, by the way, which I'm proud that our government made that a, a holiday. We ought to celebrate the freedom, the freedom. These guys are coming out of slavery. They're getting ready to go into the land of promise. As they're going into the land of promise, Moses is like, okay, let's finalize the covenant. This is our wedding service. Think of it as a wedding service. And so the amen, the 12 amens that the Israelites offer on this occasion is the equivalent of saying, I do in a wedding service. I do. I accept the terms. And I want to remind you that in the Bible, the Israelites were not forced to accept the terms. They willingly accepted the terms. So, all the way back in Exodus 19, and this concept is repeated several times, God says, okay, go, he's speaking to Moses, go ask the children of Israel, will you enter this covenant? And their answer, yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. So, God has invited us into a marriage with God, and our amen is a signal that we're going to be faithful to our marriage to God. So, faithfulness is a critical concept here, and it's a beautiful concept, and what a better concept for Father's Day than to talk about the faithfulness of a father. Now, I want to tell you this. I had a precious, precious member call me uh, a couple of weeks ago and said, um, I have dry mouth today for some reason. She said, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think I'm summarizing our conversation well. I really appreciate what you're doing in the Deuteronomy series. I'm for it. Thank you. But I bring kids, and sometimes those scriptures in Deuteronomy are a bit of a stretch for my kids. And, you know, since I don't have little kids at home, that was the first I'd thought of it in a while. So I want to tell you something. Occasionally, even though every scripture should be read, occasionally not everybody's ready to hear every scripture. 
And I will be passing over four verses today, and I invite you to read them when you get home, maybe not to your kids, just to yourself, so that we can have a men and women in here and respect everybody and make sure that we haven't raised problems that we're not ready really to address with our kids. So when we get there, you'll see what's happening, I think. Let's start with our text. So here's Moses. They're just about to cross into the land of promise, and they're doing the final vows of the renewal service. Here's what he says. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commandments that I give you today. When you've crossed the Jordan into the land of the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you've crossed over to the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. When you've crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. As I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. Build the altar of the Lord your God with field stones and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. By the way, uh, several times we get in the Scripture that the Israelites are not supposed to work the stones that they use in an altar. The point of it is, I think, don't get in the habit of working stones because you'll end up making an idol. I think that's what's going on here. So he says, look, I just want you to get some field stones, set them up, plaster them, and then write the book of Deuteronomy on it. It's a monument. It's a way of remembering. It's like a Juneteenth. It's a way of saying, hey, we remember whence we've come. We remember what it used to be like, and we're not going back that way ever again. So he says, write that out. Make a monument of our relationship. Sacrifice fellowship offerings there, eating them and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you'll write clearly all the words of this law on the stones you've set up. So he's just saying, let's set up a monument. And on the monument will be the actual book of Deuteronomy, which would be a very elaborate monument if you think about it. All right, we're going to keep going. Verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priest said to all of Israel, be silent, Israel, and listen. You've now become, so this is the wedding service, right? This is the solemn I do. You've now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. On the same day Moses commanded the people, when you have crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. And he named six tribes, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So he's dividing the people. He's saying, I want this side to shout out the curses that occur if you don't obey. Obey, and I want this side to shout out the blessings that will occur if you do obey. A couple of years ago, we went to Shechem, 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 as they call, and uh, just did the mountains. I'll just give you just a, like a 40-second clip to show you what we're talking about, standing in the ruins of the ancient city of Shechem here. I'm standing in the ruins of the old uh, tell of Shechem. This is from the Canaanite era, and you're looking almost due west right now. If we go to the south, you see Mount Gerizim. This was the Mount of Blessings in Deuteronomy 7, uh, 27, where uh, God had the children of uh, half the tribes of Israel uh, yell out the great blessings for those who obey the Word of God. And if we pan over to the north, we see the Mount of Curse. That's Mount Ebal. And here the Israelites, half the tribe of the Israelites, half the tribes, the six tribes, were to stand and shout out the curses that would befall those who did not obey the Word of God. Today on Mount Gerizim, today on Mount Gerizim, the ancient Samaritan religion 
still exist. The same Samaritans that you read of in the Bible, there are fewer than a thousand Samaritans left on planet Earth, but they live on this mountain. And when you go there, you actually, you know, you, you can interact with the Samaritan high priest because there are not many of them left. And uh, I've been there a couple of times. Last time I was there, the Samaritan high priest said to me, there are 12 springs of water on Mount Gerizim. There is no water on Ebal. In biblical days, before all the land had been stripped of its wood, Gerizim would have been a lush green mountain. Ebal was always just a rock. So what God is doing is he's saying, look, as a picture, as an image, a mental image, the curses of disobedience are on Ebal, the dry parched mountain. The blessings and fruitfulness of obedience are on Mount Gerizim. So it's a very visual way of saying, don't forget to be faithful. You've entered into a covenant now. Now that you're in a covenant, keep your word. Do what you said you were going to do. So that's what our text is set up. And we'll start with the curses and then we'll look at the beautiful blessings. The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice, cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a, detest, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, that was weak. So amen means faithful or I do, I do. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Don't say anything. We have a big youth group sitting to my left. I'd like just the youth group to repeat the amen on this one. Curse is anyone who dishonors their father and mother, and all the youth group will say? Amen. Oh, my goodness. Said like you meant it. Wow. Curse is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say? Amen. Curse is anyone that leads the blind astray on the road. In other words, anyone who takes advantage of someone who's less fortunate than you curses on that person. I want you to hear how serious this is. God is saying, I want you to be faithful. We've got, we're entering a relationship. I'm going to do my part. I want you to do your part. And all of these, by the way, these commands, they're all summary commands of the entire covenant. God has just selected 12 commands, eight of which we'll read as representatives of the covenant. Be holy and be ethical. Be faithful, he says. Then all the people shall say? Amen. Amen. Curse is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And all the people shall say? Amen. And now, skipping down to verse 24. Curse is anyone who kills their neighbor secretly. And all the people shall say? Amen. Amen. Curse is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people shall say? Amen. Amen. Curse is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And all the people shall say? Amen. Amen. So, God is simply describing the consequences of disobedience. Boy, there's a lot I want to say here, but I want to stick to the subject of, of faithfulness. Let me just say this. God punishes, he did, and he still does. But in so many ways, the punishment we receive is the consequence of our actions. If you start mistreating people, if you're unfaithful, you're going to undermine the very thing you were looking for. So he says, look, if you're disobedient, all these bad things are going to happen. Don't be disobedient. But then chapter 28 and verse 1, he gives... The most beautiful list of blessings. It's too beautiful for a sermon. It's poetry. It really is. It's beautiful poetry. And I, I feel bad that I'm going to read it in the middle of a sermon to get to some other point because this is the most, one of the most beautiful texts in all the book of Deuteronomy where he says, but if you will obey me, look at what you're going to get. Look at the blessings of being faithful 
to this covenant. So verse 1, if you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God, here we go, he will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you will obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flock, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in. You will be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant, uh, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. I love this one. They will come at you from one direction. They'll run from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. He will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, all the people on the earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands. The Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I've given you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. He's just saying, live the right kind of life. When we're faithful to the teachings of God, immense blessings follow. And the crazy thing about it is unfaithfulness is searching for the right thing in the wrong way. That's what it is. When we're unfaithful, we're probably searching for the right thing, but we're using the wrong method. And it ends up in a disaster. So I want to talk about faithfulness for a moment because it's a challenge to be faithful. And what I actually consider to be a an age in North America of weak faithfulness, maybe a faithless age. So if you just look at the social indicators in the U.S., uh, those of you who own a small business know, you know how hard it is to get people to pay their bills. How many, how many marriages end now in disaster in the U.S.? Uh, how many children are being raised without a father around? In so many ways, it's kind of a faithless age. But we're called to be faithful, to be like our God. And the real blessings are found, the blessings, remember, from Mount Gerizim, they're found in being faithful, not in being faithless. So areas such as our God, faithful to our scriptures, faithful to the mission God has given us to make disciples, faithful to our spouse, faithful to our children, faithful to your church, faithful to your small group, faithful to your word. When you say something, you do it. The people that we honor the most are people like you don't need their signature because they're going to be faithful to their word. People who are uh, faithful to their jobs, their financial commitments. In each case, we're called to cultivate that virtue, being faithful. You can depend upon what a person says. But it's difficult. So I want to give you some practical advice. This is not just for fathers, but maybe for fathers this is something, if I can say I learned something as a father, uh, here are some things that I might have learned or 
Maybe I can say these are things that I wish I had learned, but one way or the other, some practical applications of faithfulness. Let me start here. Remind yourself why faithfulness matters. Like, make sure you understand your purpose and your mission. It will help you be faithful. So it's really hard to do something that is a challenge when you don't have your why. Like, you need to know your why. Why am I going to be faithful? So, you know, having children, for example, it's Father's Day. When you have children, I mean, it's hard. Most of us, I, I don't know about women, but men, most of us men are really ill-equipped to raise children. We don't, you know, there's not a lot of instruction. Certainly in the last 30 or 40 years, as American families have collapsed around us, a lot of us don't have good role models. I, I'm thankful that I do. My father was a great role model. But a lot of us don't have good role models. We, we, here's a baby. I, I've told you this before, but when Rachel was first born on uh, July the 11th, 1994, we come down, we're in the wheelchair, Julie's being wheeled out, we're going out to the car, and they hand me this baby. And I was like, oh, no, no. Can, can we just stay another month or so? Please don't do this to me. I have no idea what to do with this thing. Now, it turns out it's only three things they need, and it's the same three over and over again. But uh, it, it was a real challenge for a man. And what you have to remind yourself of is, I know why I did this. I know why we went into this. When you get your why, it gives you your how. Like, I'm serious about this. So, I'll give you, I'm going to give you two quick illustrations. So the Bible says that we were created to praise God. You, your purpose in life is to worship God. And by the way, that's your purpose in everything you do. The reason you have a job is so that you can worship God. Y'all hearing me? The reason you are in the house that you're in is so that you can worship God. The reason you're married is so that you can worship God. The reason you put shoes on this morning is so you can worship God. The reason you got the haircut that you've got is so you can worship God. Everything we have and everything we do is supposed to lead us to the worship of God. If you get that fixed in your head, it will give you the motivation to be faithful. It's when we get selfish that we become unfaithful. It's about me now. Selfishness is the root of unfaithfulness. So we remind ourselves, I went into all these things for the worship of God. That's why I'm here and that's what I'm going to do. And then my mission, if my purpose is to worship God, my mission is to make disciples. So let me, I'm, I'm going to give you a marriage illustration. If you go into marriage simply to make yourself happy, Happiness is an important component. God looks at man. He says it's not good for him to be alone. Happiness should be one of the products of marriage. I'm for it. But that can't be the only reason. And I'll tell you why. Because happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a feeling. Feelings are unreliable. They go up. They go down. What, if you're only in marriage for the purpose of getting a good feeling, what are you going to do when you don't have the feeling? You're going to be unfaithful. Don't enter marriage just to be happy. Enter marriage to worship God. I, God made me a husband so that I could become a God-worshiping man in marriage. And that is not an easy lesson to learn. My story, my mission in marriage as a father, as a husband, is to worship God. That's yours. Measure it by that. You see, here's the deal. Uh, I mentioned this uh, last week or two weeks ago, that in a church this size, you can't know everybody's name. So there's somebody up there 
whose name I don't know, I can be really nice to you because it doesn't cost me anything. You know where it costs me to be nice? With my wife. Because we live together. And we get on each other's nerves. And all of a sudden, I realize God is actually calling me to a higher standard in marriage. My marriage is supposed to be an act of worship. Think about your work that way. The reason you have the job that you have is because God wants you to worship God there. He wants you to use that as an outreach to others. God, you know, God is measuring me in my relationship to North Boulevard by, am I worshiping God here? When I, you know, when I, when I remind myself of why I have this role, it's a serious role. And I remind myself, you know, one day I'm going to have to stand in front of God and say, did I, do, did I do what you asked me to do? When I remember my why, it sure helps me be faithful. Zig, Ziegler used to tell a story. Um, this is a sweet story. I'm going to try to retell it. I, I doubt it's true, but it was, it was good. <laughs> Guy worked a shift from 3 o'clock in the afternoon till midnight, and he, his plant was just a mile or so from where he lived, and he would walk home at night at midnight. And uh, he discovered that if he cut through the graveyard, he saved about 20 minutes on his walk home. So he got to where he would cut through the graveyard. And he got so used to doing this, he could do it in the dark. Well, unbeknownst to him, one night as he's walking, there was an open grave in preparation for a funeral the next day. He's walking along and he falls into the grave. Well, it's six feet down and he can't get out of the grave. So he's clawed at it a little bit and finally decides to himself, you know, I'll just sit here and wait till the morning and when the staff comes out they'll see me and they'll get me out well he sits in a corner and dozes off and all of a sudden another man falls into the grave there's a drunk man out there and he's lost and he falls into the grave and he doesn't see the other guy because it's pitch black and he starts clawing trying to get out of the grave well the day worker stands up and puts his hand on the shoulder of the drunk guy and he says it's no use in trying you can't get out of here and as Zig Ziglar says but he did because he knew his why. He knew why he had to get out. What I'm saying to you is when you understand why you entered the things you entered, it will give you the motivation to be faithful to it. Let's keep going. That was the longest one. So it'll get shorter here. Limit your commitments. Here's something that's really important. It's difficult to do. Most of us are spread pretty thinly. But the more you say yes to, the more likely you're going to be unfaithful to something. So pick the things that matter the most and say yes to them. And be okay saying no to other things. So most of us are spread so thin, we can't possibly do a good job of the things that matter the most. Those of you who are younger fathers, take it from me. Your kids are going to get only one shot at having a father. You are the only shot they've got. You think you're really important at your job? I promise you, tomorrow they can replace you with somebody better than you. Tomorrow. But nobody can take your place as a father. So make that job number one. Make that job number one. Don't let all the other things become an entertaining distraction to what matters the most. That is the people we've made the biggest commitments to. Number three, surround yourself with faithful people. So sometimes we surround ourselves with people who are not very faithful 
and it rubs off on us. I'll talk about marriage one more time. When you're having a marriage problem, you're really frustrated with your husband or your wife, let me tell you who you do not need to talk to. You ready? Don't talk to your friends about it. They're the worst people you can talk to. You know why? Because they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. You're going to go in, you're going to say, you know, I'm really, I'm really irritable with Jim, my husband. Look at what he's doing. Well, you know what your friends are going to say to you? Boy, if that was me, I'd leave. That's what, they're going to say exactly the wrong thing to you. They're going to support you in all your wrong instincts. Let me tell you who's better to talk to. Find one of our couples that's been married 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. We've got them here that have been married 60 years. The couples had been married 77 years when he passed away a couple of months ago. Go to one of them. You know what they'll say to you? Oh, honey, I put up with that for years. You know what? That's not such a big deal. All of a sudden, they'll put, put it in perspective for you. Don't go to people who've been faithless and ask them how to be faithful. Go to people who've been faithful and ask them, help me get through this because I'm really challenged here in this area. Surround yourself with the right people. Number four, when you fall, get back up. Like here's the beautiful thing of the Christian message. The Christian message does not depict perfect people. Yeah, ever so often I hear that about North Boulevard. It's, a, it's an odd thing to hear. People will say, well, you know, I went to North Boulevard, I look around and I just feel like I'll never measure up to them. I want to say, oh my goodness, you, you, if you knew them, you'd feel really good about yourself. If, if you knew me, you'd feel really good about yourself. Like the cool thing about the scripture is not that we all started out perfect. The cool thing about the scripture is that it just acknowledges the truth. We're all sinners. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is the Christian has the grace of God to get back up. When you make a mistake, just make it right. You don't have to like jump off a cliff, just make it right. We actually get that choice. I love this text. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Proverbs 6 verses 1 through 5, it, it's by analogy, it's similar to this point. So uh, Solomon's speaking to his son and giving advice as though Solomon has the right to do that with 900 wives. But anyway, Solomon says, listen, son, if you co-sign a note, you've made a huge mistake. By the way, that's my opinion as well. Don't co-sign, just give them the money. If it's worth doing, give them the money. Don't co-sign. And here's what Solomon says. If you co-sign alone, listen to what he says. Do this, my son. Free yourself. You've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion. Don't even sleep. Don't slumber. Free yourself. Go like a gazelle. <laughs> you get the urgency there? You know what he's really saying? He's saying when you fall, get up and make it right. Just get up and make it right. You can get up and make it right. You messed up with your spouse, say, I'm sorry. I should have done that. Give grace, get up and do it again, do it right. Hey, this is true for divorce. Even if you're divorced, you're thinking to yourself, man, what a disaster the marriage was, what a disaster the divorce was and all. At some point for some of you, not all of you, I want to say not all of you, you know, the principles of Celebrate Recovery will help you sort out whether this is for you or not. For some of you, you know what I would do? I might sit down and I might say, here are six things I wish I hadn't done in that marriage. And I might write them down in a letter and I might send them to my ex and I might say, whatever else happened, whatever else happened, I'm really sorry I did this and I'd like your forgiveness. If they give it or not, that's up to them and God. 
But sometimes it's right for us just to say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. I shouldn't have done that. And then we exercise grace with each other. When we fall down in Jesus, we can get back up. And here's the last one. Celebrate the joy of faithfulness. That is, when you've done the right thing, you ought to be able to sleep at night. If you notice in this text, the Lord says, offer a fellowship sacrifice down in this is back in chapter 27 around verses 8 and 9 and he says rejoice this ought to be a happy thing he's one of the Caesars I think it was Augustus Octavian but I don't remember if it was Octavian or not who uh, was making reference to a scoundrel that everyone knew in Rome and he said to one of his staff members he said I want to find out who designed that guy's pillow now when a Caesar asked that's a pretty big question And they said, yes, sir, we'll find out. Why do you want to know? And his answer was, because if that man can sleep at night, he must have an awfully good pillow. And what I'm telling you is that when you've done the right thing, you can sleep at night. You can sleep at night because you did the right thing. There's a reason to rejoice for those who are faithful. And even when you're not, for those who make it right. Now, it's Father's Day. And I do want to say, this is a church filled with faithful men. Not perfect men, but faithful men. Men who, some of whom have failed, but they got back up and they did the right thing. And that's probably all of us. I remember in 1988 when a terrible earthquake occurred. It was December the 7th, as I recall, 1988. I I mean, I recall from going back and rereading this this past week. 30,000 people were killed in the country of Armenia, which is on the eastern border of Turkey in Asia Minor. And a lot of stories came out of that. It was one of the worst earthquakes of the 20th century in terms of loss of life. But one really heartbreaking story. In one of the villages in Armenia, a two-story school, an elementary school, collapsed, burying all the children inside of it alive. One of the fathers in the village raced to where the school was, knowing his child was in school at that particular time, and he just saw a pile of rubble. People had gathered around, including many parents, who were standing and simply sobbing as they looked at the rubble. The father got up on top of the rubble and began to remove the stones, one stone at a time, to dig down. Eventually, the rescue teams came in and They were okay with us doing it, but they were telling him, sir, the kids are dead. Um, You don't expect to see anything good. But the man was tireless. And he pulled the stones one at a time, one at a time, for 12 hours while people said, "It's, it's over. 24 hours, 36 hours, one stone at a time. And in hour number 38, this is a true story. He pulled a rock up, looked down, and there was his son alive and looking up at him. And here's what his son said. By the way, these may be the biggest complimentary words you'll ever get. If you ever hear these words, this might be the biggest compliment you ever get. His son looks at his dad and said what? I knew you would come. I knew you would come. That's what faithfulness can look like. God is a faithful God who will never abandon us. And he teaches us to be faithful as well. So we have prayer warriors at the back of this auditorium. 
We have a place online where you can go and ask for prayers. If you want strength in being faithful, forgiveness in being faithful, a restart in faithfulness, you want to go back and see if you can make something better than it is, go back and pray with one of our prayer warriors. Uh, we'll stand up. You can go back. You can push the button online. We'll sing a song, and it's intended to get us focused on this beautiful ethic, this virtue of faithfulness. Go on, stand up, and we'll sing. <laughs>